You are listening to the Market Beautifully podcast, episode number 13. Welcome to the Market Beautifully podcast, a show where I offer marketing advice for lady entrepreneurs who crave to crack the code when it comes to getting noticed or expanding their brand online. I'm your host, Haley, and I can't wait to chat with you about what I have planned for today's episode. Today, I have Sam Bell on the show, and I'm so excited to introduce her to you. But first, before all three of us can hang out and chat web design, I wanted to let you in on a workshop that I'm actually teaching at in April. And I really want to hang out with you. I want to get to know you. Um, It's definitely not for everyone, though. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about what this workshop is and who it's for. That way you can see if it's right for you. And we can hang out for three days on live video. That sounds pretty cool. So this workshop is $97. You can use the coupon code WordPressVIP to get $30 off, which means a ticket is only $67. The workshop covers how to set up hosting on a WordPress website, how to buy a domain, how to connect the two, visual marketing, setting up your email, connecting your email marketing system to your website. We talk about plugins. We talk about the different settings you need to do. We talk about optimizing your website for SEO. We talk about a lot of web stuff. We talk about making sure that your website actually converts as well, which is a really awesome topic because I want to make sure that if you're building a website, you're actually getting sales from it. So if any of this sounds somewhat interesting to you, then go to marketbeautifully.com slash MTW. So marketbeautifully.com slash MTW. And what you'll find there is more information about the workshop and a place to put that coupon code if you want to steal your seat. I can't wait to see you there. Now let's dive in to the conversation with Sam. I know you're going to fall in love with her. Welcome to the show, Sam. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you very much for having me. It's really exciting, actually, because I'm from all the way over here in Australia. So to actually talk to people on the other side of the world, it always gives me a buzz. I'm really excited. Thank you. Yes. And you are actually the second person to be on the podcast that's from Australia. So I feel like I've, I've been able to interview some really awesome people from some really awesome places because Christy was from Australia who created the app Plan. You're from yeah, Australia absolutely. who's doing amazing things. And then um, I just interviewed a British person this morning. And, oh, she was just, <laughs> just amazing with what she does with video, which that episode will be coming out, uh, I believe, next week. So that's exciting. But, that's yeah, really I'm, good. I'm yeah. so glad you're here. I'm, I'm so excited to dive into the topic um, and chat about not only the importance of, like, a beautiful branded website, but where things need to go on the pages of the site, as well as uh, what needs to go on the pages to make sure your website is actually working for you. And your website is a marketing tool, which I know we've talked about through email, and it's not just a landing page. But before we go into all of that, let's start with what you do and then your inspiration behind what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So I am the creator behind Brand It Girl. Mm-hmm. And Brand It Girl was it was kind of a lightning bolt moment for me because I was working in corporate land. Um, I was working for Sydney Festival and Sydney Theatre Company, which are two of our biggest um, cultural organisations here in Sydney. And I was working in marketing there. And it was awesome. I was learning so much, but I wasn't really helping anybody. And then 
I decided that that wasn't good enough. So I went into teaching. So I went back to the university as a teacher and started teaching marketing. And that was awesome because I was helping people, but I just still didn't feel like I was making that impact. So Mm -hmm. it it just hit me one day that I needed to be working with people closely and actually helping them to build something that otherwise they might not be able to build. And I was talking to a lot of women at the time and they were having these brilliant ideas, but they just didn't know how to bring it to life. They didn't know how to create a website. They didn't know how to start their brand um, and that was kind of alarming for me because this was stuff that I knew I could do really easily. Like it Mm -hmm. was just stuff that came naturally to me. Um, So that was when I created my business. So essentially my mission is very simple. It is just to help women to create the lives that they really want that are going to give them the freedom and the flexibility to live the way that they really want to live. And that often means creating these online businesses and blogs that are going to sustain that kind of lifestyle. So Really, I work with clients one-on-one to create their brand identities, and that can include everything from their logo to their collateral to their social presence and their website. Um, And I do all the work myself. I don't outsource to anybody. So it means that I'm able to take on the whole project holistically Mm -hmm. and also provide training throughout the whole process on what they really need to do and what's important and where they should be investing their time and money. Um, One of the things that happened there, though, was that I was getting a lot of inquiries from people that wanted that coaching and support Mm -hmm. part of the project. Of the process, but they mm-hmm. they didn't necessarily have the money for mentorship or one-on-one coaching, um, or they wanted to do things themselves. So they wanted to DIY some of the brand, yeah. and I couldn't help everybody because I'm only one person. I've right, only right. got you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. limited time in the day. So what I did was I created the Brand at Boutique, and the Brand at Boutique is a monthly membership site which um, takes you through a training each month on a different online business, blogging, social media, productivity, Mm -hmm. it depends. So each month it's different, but it's a different strategy or tactic and it's a full training each month. So every month it's a different training, which is keeps me really stimulated because I'm teaching something new every month and I'm going back to that teaching roots that I have. Um, But it's, yeah, it's also giving them quick and actionable things that they can try every month and creating a library for them. So if something's not relevant that month for them, it might be in a couple of months time and they can come back at any point and take the training. So that's one element. The other element is that I had in my own personal life, I had a history of being not particularly well. Um, I had poor health Mm. and um, I kept having these immune crashes where I kept Mm. ending up in hospital and Mm. it was awful. And it just kept coming down to the fact that I was stressing myself sick. So I realized that how many of us must be doing this? How must, yeah. How many of us must be making ourselves sick and not putting ourselves first? Yeah. So one of the, the second element of the boutique is uh, wellness downloads. So there's a monthly exercise video. There's snack recipes that are completely healthy that you can actually eat at your desk and not feel guilty. Oh, They're not going to hurt goodness. you. That's amazing. <laughs> and, and there's a, a mindset kit for each month where it works on a different aspect of your mindset and there's mindset downloads. So there's that. that. And then the third element is the community. And that's just a place where you can get some cheerleaders. Um, You have more access to me. I can be a mentor for you. I can answer your questions. We have bonus trainings, things like that. So that's the boutique. And that's really 
um, where my focus is going now because I can see that I can help the most people in that way, which is what I wanted to do right at the start. That's why I started this. Right. I, Sorry, that was a really long answer. <laughs> no, but it was a, such a great answer. You're doing a crap ton, but but that's so awesome. I feel like I love the inspiration behind the wellness part because I know personally I have made myself sick, and it, it was a little different, but it's more like anxiety and panic attacks, which on the last episode, on episode 12, we talk about that as depression as a business owner because it's a real thing and it's a struggle that a lot of people have. And I know I've dealt with it and that's why I took on a full-time job. Honestly, is it wasn't because I needed the money. I was actually making more money <laughs> as a web designer because I'm awesome. I feel like I was just awesome at running a business, but it's so lonely and it's, it's honestly, it's just depressing. And your anxiety and depression just can take over. So I love the wellness kit idea. That's such a unique twist on it too. I've never heard that. So yeah, thanks. Yeah. I felt like that was something that was definitely weighing on my heart, that loneliness element. And mm -hmm. so that was one of the, yeah, the mental health and the depression side of things is I think people underestimate it. And I think yes. people who have made it in this industry, they don't talk about the the struggle enough because mm -hmm. it's bloody hard. It it's hard. Is. So yeah, we need to actually support each other and people who aren't walking the same path as us, people in our everyday life, they don't understand no. what it's like to work from home. They think that it's just, you know, fun and cushy and oh good, yeah. you're home all day, you can yeah. do whatever you want. No, exactly. no, 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 no. It's hard. It is hard. So I think that was important. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that. I definitely agree with that completely because I know in my life, no one understands what I do. And you know, if they're not going to understand what you do, you know, they're not going to even, even comprehend what it's like working from home and how hard you work. A lot of people see that I'm on my couch on my laptop and they're like, oh, she can go do this for me or she can go clean the whole entire house when I'm gone. Like, no, <laughs> yeah, I'm probably working you should be available 24-7. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, sorry. There's a bit of a delay there. Um. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's terrible because you you seem to be everyone's go to when they yes. you know need to know what time their train is and you're like no I'm working. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then it's hard to stop working. I know that's another problem that I've had mm. is when to stop working and when to have family time because I'm really bad at that. I could work myself to death. I love working. So that's also a really hard transition. But I love yeah. that you transitioned the coaching. Instead of doing one-on-one -on -one coaching, I love your creative solution to it, which was creating the membership website. Um, because I know those people that are wanting your services and needing your services, it is a good, I guess, I guess a, not a cheaper option, a more affordable option that's yeah. readily accessible to pretty much anyone that can't afford that one-on-one -on -one coaching with you. So yeah, definitely. It was really important for me that it was accessible because I, I believe that everyone should have access to education and mm -hmm. the tools that they need. And, you know, in order for me to survive, I do have to charge for my services. So I can't, you know, give it away for free. But this is a way that I can actually provide it in a way that is accessible and people can actually afford it. So, yeah, in a way it is affordable and a cheaper option. Yeah. Yeah, and you built this membership website from scratch, right? What platform did you use? 
Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm insane and I'm a sucker for punishment. Um, <laughs> oh, but no. <laughs> I, I had a long I had a long, long history with WordPress. So I decided mm-hmm. that WordPress would be the most dynamic way and give me the most scope for growth in the future yeah. because I am planning on growing this as big as I possibly can. Yeah. So I thought that WordPress would give me that scope. So I chose to build on WordPress and mm-hmm. I use our wishlist member as the membership sort of software that runs the site in terms of the website itself it is a custom built theme but it's built on the genesis framework so that's getting a bit techy um for those of your listeners that (laughs) don't know what genesis is it's kind of like the engine behind um the the website and it just keeps it all running really nicely and Mm -hmm. then the way that it looks is the theme that i built custom on top of that so that's the main sort of three elements to this website it's on WordPress with wishlist member and Genesis and then the rest was kind of just built by me look I think that it is a very that's a very complicated solution for people who aren't necessarily techie so I think a better solution if you don't know how to code or that you don't have extensive knowledge of WordPress and I'm not saying that you can't learn because people can definitely learn but um I think that sometimes a better solution is something like Teachable um, for people that are just starting out with coursework and memberships and stuff like that. So that's a a really good option as well, but um, that's what I went with. Yeah, and I love that. I'm actually right now trying trying to learn how to code child themes for Genesis. So it's really cool that uh, you brought that up. I didn't know that you did a child theme with Genesis, but uh, it is a little techie, but... PHP code is a little scary and I was a web design major but in college they didn't exactly teach us how to design websites you would think they would really yeah they taught us how to build a website from html and css only so that's a very basic code and no one does that anymore um so yeah that's not really useful anymore is it (laughs) no (laughs) not at all so I'm I definitely want to expand my skill just because I always love learning so where did your web design skills come from are you self-taught or have you had classes where did you learn Okay, yeah, so I wish that I had been formally trained in web design because I think that I would have done really well in that course, but no, I am self-taught. Um, it actually started when I was, I think I was about maybe 13 or 14, um, and it was one of my sick times, and so I I was stuck at home quite a lot with uh, arthritis. I have rheumatoid arthritis, so I was stuck at home quite a lot in a wheelchair and I didn't really have anything except for, you know, the schoolwork that they would send Mm -hmm. home. So I got into coding. And the way that I got into that is um, I'm a giant nerd. So for for those of you who don't know me, I am a giant nerd. So I got into coding through online text-based role-playing games. Wow, what a nerd. So, <laughs> I love so it. Yeah, so these games, they were text-based and you could create little like profile images where you could put an image and then have an iframe and then have like uh-huh. all the details about your character in the uh-huh. iframe and you could style it with CSS. And that's how I got into coding. Um, and from there I got obsessed with making websites. So I made like 10 different blogs and, you know, it just snowballed out of control from there. And it's just been <laughs> a constant in my life ever since. 
Um, but my formal training, I guess, is more the marketing and the branding side of things. So I have a master's of commerce in marketing. And then really, I just brought all of that um, passion and hobby of graphic design and web design and, and when I decided to start my business, I was quite proficient in that. I had some on-the-job training at the two companies that I worked for. I worked in the design departments quite a lot. Um, that wasn't part of my job, but I just ended up there because I was drawn to that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just combined all of that. So in terms of my training, yeah, I am largely self-taught. Um, and for me, that's really worked because I, I get obsessed with things and yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, and I used to think that that was a bad thing, but now I think it's actually what's made me successful because I get absolutely obsessed with working it out. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. And that's definitely important when coding, you, you have to be obsessed. Otherwise you'll rip your hair out. So. <laughs> oh, look, Haley, I dream code. I actually, I see code in my dreams sometimes. No, so. you don't. Are you serious? <laughs> So. I do. I've had, I, I have probably a handful of um, actual dreams that I can remember where I saw code. I was coding in my dreams. So that is so <laughs> funny. Okay. So what are the essential pages everyone needs on their website? Like what are the pages that if you do not have them on your website right now, you need to make sure that they're there. Okay, great. I've got three main pages that you need to have on your website. But first, I just want to say, I want to preface this with people really don't understand the importance of a good website. And I was shocked to discover that a lot of businesses globally still don't have a website. Like that is so crazy to me because, um, you know, if we think about how we search for information and if you're looking for a product or a service, the very first thing you're going to do in this day and age is you're going to get on Google and you're going to search the search terms that will give you, you know, options. Yeah. Right. If that is, if there's not a website, it's like you don't exist. It's like you don't exist. And the other problem is that some people think it's something you can just knock together at the last minute and anything will do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, something's better than nothing. And look, I understand that philosophy, but it's not that difficult to get a good functioning website that's mobile responsive, you know? So we really need to be thinking about in today's society, how people are searching for information. And really, if you don't have a website, it's like you don't exist. So with that being said, the three main pages that mm-hmm. you really need on your website are your homepage, mm-hmm. your start here or about page, and then your products, services, or if you're a blogger, your blog index page. So they're the three main pages. There's a couple of other sub ones that are really important as well. But if we look at the stats on our own websites, the pages that are being visited most, and this is kind of a general stat Um, is that your homepage obviously is where people land first or if they're coming via your blog it will be a particular blog post but they'll generally go back to your homepage at some point your start here about page is a crazy popular page and then obviously they want to know what your what your services what your products are um, and they will go there as well so they're the three yeah I definitely agree with that I think I think a big thing is on the about page, a lot of people think that it needs to be all about themselves and then their product and services, they focus a lot on the features of their product or service and then on the homepage, it's more about what the business is and I think that's the big thing is uh, if I've seen a lot of websites that have all of these pages or they're missing at least one but they have a good idea and then when it comes to the content on the page, 
I feel like that's where a lot of people get stuck and they think they they have it down because they have something like you said like something's better than nothing but it's <laughs> very important to make sure that these pages that you have on your website actually convert so let's start with the home page on all those three pages um what are the essentials when it comes to your home page do you keep it short do you keep it long um, I want to hear what you think on this. I know it's kind of a, a controversy now is whether you should have a long homepage or a short homepage. And I've heard it defended uh, different ways. So I want to hear your, your input on that. Yeah, great. So I see homepages broken down into three options, really. Okay. And the option that you choose is going to completely depend on the kind of business, business that you have and what you want that business um, well, sorry, what you want that homepage to do for you. So what's the yeah. function of it? So the three kinds of homepages that we have is a cover homepage. Mm -hmm. And this is generally, it's not even scrolling. It's just a, a cover page. It's, it's generally one photo, which is the background of the page. It's got some very limited text on there that's just making it very clear who this website is for. Mm -hmm. And then it's generally got one or two links or call to actions. One of those might be to subscribe and then the other one will be, you know, taking you into the rest of the site. And so this is a really good, um, this is a good homepage for people who are trying to build their list quickly or want people to take a very, very specific action and they don't want to distract the people with all of the information, you know, right. all the, th all the, th all the things that you can get on a homepage, you yeah, know, yeah. they don't want that distraction. So they've got a very specific goal in mind for people when they land on the website. So that's when a cover page would be really good. The second is a blog homepage. And this is when we can see the blog feed, displayed on the homepage. And this is perfect for bloggers because the main function of that website is to get people to read your blog posts. Right. So you'd want to put that up front and center. Um, I do recommend on that kind of page that you keep it relatively clutter free. So your sidebar is going to be really important on a blog page. Mm -hmm. You need to keep it clutter free. You need to be, that's prime real estate. So you need to be very strategic as to what you put in this, the sidebar. I wouldn't be you know, putting everything in there and all these ads and everything because people mm -hmm. will become numb to it. Yes. If you are very strategic about what you put in your sidebar on this kind of homepage, it will perform well for you. The other thing is don't mm -hmm. have the long form, um, your full blog posts on this page. I would have just an excerpt with a read more button yeah. because we don't want people to be scrolling forever on your homepage. Mm -hmm. So that needs to be the priority if you're going with a blog homepage. And the third is the traditional so the traditional homepage, this is um, when it's sort of broken up into sections and this is this is a good homepage that can kind of work for a lot of different businesses. I wouldn't recommend this so much for bloggers, but definitely for products and service-based businesses, it can be a good option. And the idea behind that is that you, you give a lot of information up front, but very specific information up front as to who you who you serve and what you offer. Yeah. You might want to display your product or service info. You would have an opt-in um, form for your mailing list on there somewhere. Mm -hmm. You might have some photos and obviously you'd have your navigation links to the rest of your site. Yeah, I'm going to back up a little bit to number two. You talked about sure, sidebars. And I was reading in a Facebook group that sidebars are out. And I thought, what? Sidebars can't be out. Now, I started blogging in 2011. So that was, what, six years ago? 
And maybe I'm a little old school. I don't know. <laughs> if I am, then someone please tell me. But do you feel like sidebars are out when it comes to blogs? I feel like what you said, prime real estate, I'm in that boat. So. Yeah, look, I think that um, sidebars still play a role. And I don't think that they're out. I think that definitely people who are moving towards a more simplistic and clean style are going to opt to not have a sidebar and that's okay I think also the content that is actually in your individual blog posts is going to determine if you really need a sidebar or not if you're going to be putting um, call to actions and opportunities for people to subscribe to your list inside your blog posts. I don't think you need a, a sidebar as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I don't think it's dead. I think it's still got a a role to play. Um, I certainly hope so because I like the sidebar. I'm, I do I'm from too. your camp. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people think sidebars are out because of the way it's been used in the past and. I definitely get that because a lot of people put display ads on the sidebar or, you know, they always happen. And I feel like that trend is going, it's dying out, is putting those ads on the sidebar because it does clutter up. And and plus, who makes money from those things? I I doubt if you're doing it, you're making more than $50 a month uh, on sidebar ads. And $50 a month, it's not worth it. Um, you could yeah. work with spo- a sponsored brands, sponsored blog posts with brands, and, and that would fill up that $50 spot quicker than anything. So I'm hoping that the sidebar is, is not out. <laughs> I, I definitely agree. I think that um, people are looking after their readers a bit more mm-hmm. these days because people are getting over seeing, you know, so much information in front of them and everyone wants, you know, a piece of their credit card. So I think that bloggers and website owners are becoming more protective over their readers and they want to Mm -hmm. only put in front of them things that they honestly believe in. So I think that that's another reason why sidebars aren't as popular because maybe those ad, you know, the Google ad things aren't Mm -hmm. working. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think they're a little tacky. I know with my sidebar, I love promoting free courses. That is that is my thing. I love promoting free stuff on the sidebar because then when you come, it's not, or when you come to my blog, it's not, oh, here's, pay for this or, you know, buy this. It's like, no, I want to get to know you more. I want to get to know what you do and, and I want to be friends with them. I want to continue the relationship. That's why I love the sidebar and I hope it doesn't die. <laughs> Um, let's move on. Let's shift over to the about page. So I think I loved your three different homepages. I think that is just fantastic. When it comes to the about page, I think this is the, the major page that a lot of people get stuck on. Um, whenever, especially whenever it comes to just creating and writing the content. So how do you create an about page on your website that turns these visitors into fans and also gets them out of this creative rut, like the person behind the about page. Yeah, sure. The about page is vital. It is, I think I I researched this quite a while ago, and I'm assuming that the stats are probably pretty similar, but the about page is like the most visited page on your website. And I think a lot of people forget that. Um, And yeah, you're right. They're using it. They're using it completely um, incorrectly because, 
if I had a dollar for every time I went to an about page and I saw a picture of the site owner with their dog and they're like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a mom of three. I love to knit and this is my dog and my dog is my world. Like, you know, that's awesome. I'm really great. Like I'm grateful to get to know you, but that doesn't actually tell me anything about how you're going to help me as the person who's reading this page. So I think that the more that you can make this page about your ideal client and demonstrate that you understand their struggles, that you understand where they're at in life and what they need, then the more you're going to connect with people really quickly. Mm -hmm. So the best way to use your about page is really to demonstrate that you understand who you're talking to by actually talking to them you know, saying, hi, you know, I understand what you're going through. I understand, you know, that you're struggling with this or that you're looking for this particular answer. Um, And then you go into how your brand or your website or your blog or, you know, your products are going to actually help them with whatever that is. So making your about page more about the person who's reading it than about yourself is going to really flip this page and make it work a lot better. People are going to connect with it a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. Um, so once you start going into, so I guess if we were talking about this in terms of a structure, we would say, start off with making it very clear that you're talking to a specific person and, um, and outlining that you relate to their struggles, then go into how your brand, your offering helps those struggles and is a solution to those struggles. And then you introduce whatever you're offering. So if it's, coaching if it's a particular Mm -hmm. product if it's your blog you introduce that then then you can go into sharing your experience and this is when you can introduce yourself so we're already two-thirds of the way down the page before you actually introduce yourself so move that down that's at the top of every about page that I read most of the time Um, we really need to move that down the page so then you introduce yourself you say this is why I'm the person to give you those answers Mm -hmm. and to help you along this path and Mm -hmm. then this is a part that a lot of people forget show social proof so this is a perfect opportunity to use testimonials to um, pop in photos of people that you've helped in the past and like say you know how you helped them and what their experience was this is a great place for testimonials because people are on the hook at this point you know they've read this far and if you can then back it up with other people who have experienced success or have been happy with the service or product that you've provided then that is going to hit home at this point So really that would be the structure that I would recommend and the way that people can, I guess a lot of people feel like it's a bit icky, these, these about pages. They're like, Oh, I don't really like talking about myself. Awesome. Don't talk about yourself. (laughs) Talk about the people that you're talking to. Yeah. Um, So that's a really good way of doing it. And then lastly, just having some kind of direct call to action. So you need to direct people somewhere else at this point. So that Mm -hmm. is to your, products or services page, to your blog, to your mailing list, to wherever you want them to go next. So think about what's the next logical step for people to take after they've read this information. Yeah, I think that's a really hard, I guess, hump to get over is, well, they want to know about me. And I know with with me, I find it painful to think that no one cares about my two dogs. I mean, they're awesome. But the fact of the matter is, no one could give two craps about my dogs, unfortunately. And they only care about what I'm going to give them, how I'm going to benefit their life, and how I'm going to enhance their business, which is fine because that's my mission in my business anyways, is to enhance your business. So I know it is a little bit painful to think 
that no one cares about your children or your dogs or your husband because I know that they are fantastic and I care about them, but <laughs> uh, we definitely do need to move the, uh, that information down two thirds, just knock it down a little bit. You can still include it, but only have it be maybe one paragraph of that section and at the end of that section of your about section that's a lot of sections <laughs> but uh i would say the first paragraph of the about myself section should be what you said is why i'm the person that's going to help you figure out your problem or provide you a service or you know why i should be the one creating your products for you and then after you you know tell them that successfully and efficiently you can move on to your husband and your dogs and your kids, but only keep it to one paragraph. Um, That's right. Because yeah. I know they, they probably care a little bit. It's just not near as much as how much you're going to be benefit them because the fact of the matter is people are really selfish and it's it's just true. You can't change that and that's fine. Yeah, I think also, yeah, it is. You're right. It is something that people struggle with because those elements of their lives are so important. Yeah. Um, and I don't think to not show it at all would be also a shame, but mm -hmm. I think your about page is the wrong place. So if you were to move that kind of content over to maybe Instagram stories, for yes. instance, that would be a good place to share about your kids and your dog. And obviously in moderation as well, because this is of a course. business or, you know, a blog, like it, you're, you're a brand. Um, but giving people glimpses into your life on those platforms is fantastic and it will actually make people feel more connected to you. But when they're on your about page on the website, they're there for a completely different reason. So you've yeah. just got to understand why people are actually coming to that about page and generally they want to know about how you're going to help them, not about yeah. you. Yeah, Instagram stories is the perfect place to put that stuff. If you want to meet my dogs, my Instagram handle is Market Beautifully. They are all over the place there. They're snuggling with me while I'm editing podcasts. So, uh, yeah, I, I love Instagram stories. I would say if you do want to show your kids or your dog or your husband or whoever on your Instagram stories, I kind of have a rule to where I can't share anything like that until I've hit three business-related Instagram stories just because – I know whenever I follow a business and you know, I obviously I do care about their dogs and their kids, but that's not why I'm following them. To be honest, it's not. And so you definitely yeah. want to keep yourself in check. So I say maybe one out of every four Instagram story posts you have, keep it personal, but then the other three business. I completely agree. Yeah. I think that's a really good ratio. And I mean, at the moment I'm, when I'm posting my personal my personal Instagram stories, uh -huh. I'm I'm using my wedding planning at the moment because I'm planning our wedding, and so you know I'm taking people no along way. with me to venues and stuff. So congratulations! Yeah, that's how I'm using it. Thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> that's so exciting! I didn't know you were planning a wedding. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty exciting. I'm excited. <laughs> so we've talked about homepage. We've talked about the about page. How do you incorporate call to actions on your website to get people to convert? I feel like this is the most important question because if you do not have a call to action on your website anywhere, then for you need to listen to this podcast and afterwards you need to put a call to action on your website. Yeah, absolutely. So for those of you who don't know what a call to action is, it's when you have a particular action that you want your readers or customers to take. Mm -hmm. So that could be to subscribe to your mailing list. It could be to uh, read a particular piece of content 
um, or it could be to actually buy or engage your services so or products. Mm-hmm. So you really need to ask yourself three questions when you're thinking about call to actions. So firstly, what action do you want them to take? So that's vital. And this is something that people slip up with right at the start because they're not really clear about what action they actually want people to take. Um, So you can't make a call to action until you know where you need people to go. And that um, will, where they'll need to go will depend on, you know, what your targets are, what your objective is. If your target and your objective is to grow your mailing list, then the action that you're going to want people to take is to subscribe. So you need to think about what action you want them to take. You need to think about um, why you want them to take it. So Mm -hmm. the motivation behind it. So is it to make sales? Is it Mm -hmm. to get subscribers? So that's going to be really important as well. And then you need to think about how you're actually going to entice them to take that action. And this is the, the, the third and probably the most important part because remember, people are time poor. They, you know, they've got a lot of options. So what makes this option particularly good for them? Um, And so you need to really think about the psychology behind why someone's going to click on a call to action. Yeah. Now, now what would a call to action actually look like? Well, it could be a button that takes someone to a subscription box. It Mm -hmm. could be a button that takes, it's generally a button of some kind or a form of some kind. Um, It could take them to your services or your product library. It could take them to a free download. Um, It just depends. So you really need to think about why someone will click on that button. So the words that you use in your call to action are really important. So when you are trying to get someone to buy something, I think using the word buy now is actually really bad (laughs) (laughs) because people Uh don't want to have that association in their brain that Mm -hmm. they're about to part with money. So you can use something like find out more or get it now, Mm -hmm. you know, grab yours, you know, so you can use the language that you use is going to be really important as to why people are actually going to press the button. So you need to think about the psychology. I have read statistics and I've done research myself and learn more. I know, I mean, it's pretty basic, but learn more actually converts a lot better than a lot of other phrases. So learn more because people don't feel like there's any pressure. Oh, you're just learning more. Even though you are leading Mm -hmm. them to a sales page or you're leading them to somewhere else, learn more is a pretty good call to action. So if you don't know what phrase to do, like just start with learn more. That's what I would suggest. Yeah. Learn more is low risk, which is why it's performing so well because mm-hmm. there's no commitment in learning more no. None at all. <laughs> the only the only expense that that actually gives you immediately is the time that it takes to learn more yep. and that's often something that if people are interested they're willing to spend that time mm-hmm. um, and then once they've learned more you've got them you know so that is a really good way of using call to action buttons that's a good language mm-hmm. so yeah the language is really important also Think about the color of the call to action. So it needs to be obviously branded, so it still needs to fit in with your brand, but those buttons should be something that is going to grab the eye in some way. So I don't mean, you know, if you've got a, a, a color palette of, you know, blue and green, don't, you know, suddenly use an orange button unless that is strategically placed into your brand. (laughs) Right. But, um, but definitely think about how you can differentiate those buttons within your brand so that they do catch the eye. I've, I've seen studies that say that yellow is a color that promotes action being taken. So Mm. that's something that people can consider. Again, don't include a yellow button unless it fits with your brand. Yes. Yeah. But, 
because <laughs> I'm all about consistency. Um, yeah, if I put a yellow button on my website, I don't know if it would convert well because it looked terrible. So definitely yeah, stick to branding. But I've also heard yeah, green so. is a good color too, and it doesn't fit into everyone's branding. So I agree, branding yeah. first, but then also keep color psychology in mind. So what's the best strategic way to use email marketing on your website? A lot of people use email marketing on their website. I see it all the time. But what is the most strategic way to actually get emails, get people on your list, and then use them? You're going to want an opt-in form. So this is generally a really short form. And the least, the less fields in this form, the better. So yes. all you really need from people is their first name and their email. Mm-hmm. So if you're asking for their last name and their location and their phone number, people are not going to fill it out. Nope. Make this form as simple as possible. So really, all you need first name and email that's all you need so that's the (laughs) so that's the first thing keep it really simple um the second element of this i guess is why are you creating an email list now if it is to let people know what you're doing and when you've got new products and services you need to be kind of upfront that that is what's going on here because if people subscribe and they are not getting what they're expecting from you, they're going to unsubscribe really quickly. Yeah. So be transparent about why you're actually collecting these email addresses. If it's to offer them freebies, let them know that that's why. If it's to, um, you know, if it's just general news and updates, let them know that that's why. And this doesn't need to be massively advertised, but just have it in there somewhere and be transparent, even if that if it doesn't fit into your the design of your website, that's okay, but put that in your very first email that you send to your list when, mm-hmm. when they subscribe and say, here's what you can expect from me. So that's just a side mm-hmm. note. Um, in oh, terms okay. of how to get people to subscribe, though, this is the tricky part because people, again, are time poor. They are very mm-hmm. protective over their inbox these days because mm-hmm. we've been around the block a few times now and we know that you can end up with you know, a hundred emails that are unread in your inbox in the blink of an eye mm-hmm. and nobody has time for that. No. So yeah, we need to be strategic as to how we're actually getting people on the list and just saying, you know, subscribe for news, give me your details. No. That's not going to work. No. It might've worked, you know, four or five years ago. It's certainly not going to work now. So this is when people ask me for feedback on their websites, this is generally one of the things that I bring up with them because I always see this. Subscribe to my list. No thanks. So (laughs) you've got to give them a reason. So the reason would be an opt-in offer. So when I say an opt-in offer, I'm talking about some kind of content that they're going to get in exchange for your email address. So it, it could be, an ebook, it could be a free guide, it could be a mini training, mm-hmm. it could be access to a Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many different things that you could offer yeah. as part of this opt-in offer, but it needs to be irresistible and it needs to be completely relevant to your audience. So if you are a knitter, um, for instance, off the top of my head, we'll see <laughs> if this example works. Um, if, yeah. you're in, if you're a knitting company and your subscribers are knitters, then you will want to be offering them something to do with knitting. So you might, might want to give them a yarn guide or a basic stitches guide. You wouldn't want to give them, you know, 10 tips for, you know, collecting magazines. Or I don't know, like you want to be really specific about mm-hmm. um targeting their interests so we need to be really conscious of what we're actually offering people because remember they're they're getting a lot of offers too they're getting a lot of freebie offers 
So yours has to be resistible. Yeah, I think if you know who your target audience is, you think, okay, what are they struggling with? Like, what makes them stay up at night? What makes them (laughs) lose sleep? And then once you figure that out, create a solution for it and then ask for their email and return to the solution to their problem. And people will give you their email address. Like for me, um, just an example is a lot of people in my community, they have an email list, they've been using MailChimp, but they had no earthly idea how to monetize this list. They're like, okay, I have a list. I have, you know, over 500 emails, but how do I actually make money off of this? I'm, I'm broke. And so I created a free course that taught them how to do sales funnel sequences and all that. And all they have to do is sign up for the course and give me their email. And I have all of these trainings for them. So I create, and now that's a little extreme. If you want to, you know, dial it down, which it, I mean, every, like you said, time for, um, PDF, (laughs) just just a simple PDF in Photoshop or Illustrator and send it to them. That, that is the easiest way. And, you know, I could have solved that problem by just putting a sales funnel diagram on a PDF and then giving that to them. So you could take that as super simple PDF or all the way to like a free blown out course. So there's tons yeah, of different variations. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't have to be complicated. And that's something mm-hmm. that scares people a bit with mailing lists. Is, yes. is mailing lists. I think that these, these opt-in offers need to be super complicated with the 10-step step funnel and, you know, all of this. Mm-hmm. Like, it just doesn't have to be that difficult. No. Um, you just need to give. And I think that what you said there about working out what keeps them up at night, that is the perfect starting point for what yep. opt-in you're going to offer. So that's a really good place to start. And the other side of it is just ask people what they want from you. What do they want to get from you? What do they need to learn? So there are, for most communities these days, there are Facebook groups. And I think that Facebook groups are a great place to find this information and to do this research. Mm -hmm. Just ask people, say, I'm creating a new freebie. What do you guys want? (laughs) Yeah. And you'll be amazed that people will have very specific needs that they would love to see you create something for so that's definitely a good way of doing it I think in terms of where to put the the opt-in the mailing list Mm opt-in that's really important as well I think definitely on your homepage at some point all three homepage options you could incorporate this again Mm -hmm. remember that the cover page homepage is um you you are creating the cover page because you've got a very specific goal in mind and that might not be the mailing list. So that's the only exception where you might not want to include your mailing list on that one. But for the blog and the traditional, you can definitely include your mailing list opt-in there. I think sidebars, if sidebars are still alive, <laughs> is a really good place to put it. I think also the footer, you could put it. Yes. Um, if one of the main actions that you want people to take is mailing list subscriptions, then your about page could be a place for it. Mm -hmm. And in individual um, blog posts is another really good place to put opt-ins. So at the end of the blog post, just before your comments, you might want to put a subscription form there as well. So I think try not to put it, you know, in you don't want to make your entire website just subscription forms but of course I think if you yeah you need to be strategic about where you're actually putting them for sure but I think if you have them in more than one place it they do perform quite well yeah the other thing is that I just want to flag here is that I recommend that you use embedded 
um, opt-in forms, not pop-ups. And I've got a couple of reasons for this. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what you feel about pop-ups, but I personally don't think that they're a great idea. I use because the button that pops up. So I don't have a pop-up on my website, but they have to click that button or like the link on the menu and then a pop-up appears. Yeah, exactly. That is the perfect solution if you're planning on using pop-ups because um, if you have a a pop-up that appears when someone first comes to the website, Mm -hmm. chances are it's not going to perform very well for you. And there's a couple of reasons. Firstly, they just got here. They don't know you. (laughs) Like they have no relationship with you just yet. So why are they going to give you their details when they have no idea what to expect from you? So that's one of the main reasons. The second reason is that because they just met you, they don't trust you yet. And Mm -hmm. we really need that trust um, to build up in order for people to feel comfortable giving you their details. Right. And then thirdly, again, they're time poor. So if, if you're popping up in their face, they want to protect their time. Like mm-hmm. they're not going to let you into their inbox if they right. don't know you. They're just going to close that box. And to be honest, if I'm perfectly honest about my own um, use of websites, if a opt-in pop-up comes in when I first get there, I'll generally close the whole website because yeah, I'm yeah. like, I can't be bothered with this. I don't have time. Right, and so, if, you, you, if you look at a website that has a pop-up on mobile, it's so hard to click the X button, and I just give yeah, up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so if your pop-up is not mobile-friendly, you just need to get rid of it. It's better to do that because a lot of people are on their phone, and they don't think about it because I update everything on desktop, but that is a big major concern is pop-ups on mobile devices. Big no-no. Absolutely, and I mean, we haven't spoken too much about using websites on mobile Um, yet but I think that you've just sort of brought up a great topic there and I think that with everything we've talked about testing for mobile responsivity Mm -hmm. is really important you need to make sure that your website is accessible and um, that it all displays properly and Mm -hmm. that it's user-friendly on mobile because we know that most people are actually accessing your content from their mobile now so you really Mm -hmm. need to be mindful of that and do the testing and that might actually mean getting your phone and testing it, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's websites that you can use that will show you different views. um, But one of the best ways is just pick up your phone and see what it looks like on mobile. So definitely something to think about too. Yeah, I agree. Um, So what platform do you suggest using when it comes to building websites? Well, I know that you are a WordPress fan and I am a WordPress fan as well from way back. Um, but I do really love Squarespace these days. I find okay. that for my clients who aren't techie and that they don't mm-hmm. have the coding background, that Squarespace is an awesome solution. So I can create them something fairly custom on there mm-hmm. and then teach them how to look after it themselves. And they, I'm getting a great response from that. So it depends on your level of proficiency when it yeah. comes to coding and, and your understanding of sort of things like CSS and, mm-hmm. and stuff like this. For some people, WordPress does their head in and that's one of the reasons why I moved my my main website to to Squarespace but my membership site is on WordPress so I guess I am kind of in both camps and I love them <laughs> yeah. both yeah and I think that they have different purposes and different benefits and it really just depends on the person's skill level when it comes to mm-hmm. web design and also yeah what 
what they actually want to do. I do find that Squarespace has just simplified a lot of things for me. I don't do as much website tweaking. I used to be forever in my my code of my WordPress site when my website was over there mm-hmm. and I was tweaking all day long. Um, I don't tend to do that as much on Squarespace. Good. So for me, it saves time. <laughs> but, but yeah. Yeah, if I was making custom themes on WordPress, I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> um, that would be so time consuming. And yeah, I would definitely see Squarespace for sure. I like WordPress. The reason why I like WordPress is because I feel like it can grow with your business. And even <laughs> if you, you have to say you change, I have changed my business so many times in the past seven years. You know, I used to be a fashion blogger and then I was a web designer and now I'm an educator. So with WordPress, it's been able to grow with me as I, you know, change my path. And that's why I love it. But I've also heard amazing things about Squarespace and I've dealt a little bit with Squarespace with clients. So I haven't hopped on the train yet. I understand why people are on the train. So... (laughs) Yeah, no, it's um, it's a hard switch, I think, to because it, it it is limited in terms of you know it doesn't have all those plugin options mm. and yeah, web web space is so dynamic there really is mm. no end to what you can do with it and um, I guess with with Squarespace you need to choose a base theme to start with and then you can customize from there so that's one big distinction right off the bat but. Um, yeah, I think that it, it really just depends on the purpose of the business. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think that there's still options for evolution in terms of using Squarespace. Um, but yeah, I think, I think they're both really great platforms. I'm really excited to be using both of them. I, I was firmly in the WordPress camp for so long and I was like, ah, Squarespace, I'm <laughs> yeah. not going to use that. Yeah. But But then when I started playing with it a bit more and I gave myself a challenge to rebuild my whole website in a weekend on Squarespace and I said, if I can do it, I'm going to switch and I could. And I just knew that that would be more productive for me as Mm -hmm. a web designer. I'd be able to serve my clients quicker um, and I knew that if if I could rebuild the whole website in a weekend and have, you know, pretty much mirror image my website on Squarespace, then I knew it had the capacity to do what I needed it to do for my clients. So that's why I made the switch. I love it. So thanks so much for coming on and talking to us about all of this awesome website conversion strategies and, you know, the essential pages. So now that everyone has fallen in love with you, where can they hang out with you? Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I would really love to make some new friends and meet you. So please, Yay. please come and hang out with me. My website is branditgirl.com. So that's my main website. My membership site is thebranditboutique.com. You can find links on my main website to mm-hmm. my membership site. But if you'd like to go directly there, you can. I've also got a free Facebook group that you are welcome to come and hang out with me okay. in. And that URL is just branditgirl.com forward slash society. Or you can just search for it with Branded Society. And the last thing that I'll mention is that when we go to air with this, it will be maybe a week and a half before my virtual summit starts. So you could still, so if you catch this before the 21st of uh, March, you are actually able to come and join my free virtual summit. So that's the Lady Boss Breakthrough Summit. And you can find that at ladybossbreakthrough.com. So I've got a bunch of really cool speakers and I'd love to see you there for that as well. So that's how you can hang out with me. Um, I'd really love to make some new friends. So please come and say hi. Oh, that's so exciting. Thanks so much. Well, I have really enjoyed talking to you and 
and I'm excited to get to know you even better and follow everything that you're doing in your awesome business. Thanks so much for having me. This has been awesome. <laughs>